Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mechadon here with my co-host, V. Mamba mentality for life. The NBA is today. Back. Oh, it's back. Yes. And today is August 14th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you can be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We are still quarantined and social distancing due to this pandemic. But we're doing our best to bring you guys a show at all costs. On today's show, we have a very special guest, former NBA star, current real estate investor and entrepreneur, Josh Childress. We talk about everything from what it was like growing up in California, why he chose Stanford, thoughts on the Pac-12 player demands, his bold decision of leaving the NBA, what he's done since, and now how he's helping the community and leading the pack in entrepreneurial entrepreneurial endeavors. Uh, we also get his top five NBA players of all time. You don't want to miss this. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember now that our Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays at night early. These donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast. And don't forget to grab some wristbands and some face masks at shop.pilotboys.com. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating and comment on Apple. Let's go. Where the pilot boys at? Listen to the Pilot Boys podcast. We're here with a very special guest, former NBA professional basketball player, but also a current philanthropist, venture capitalist, and entrepreneur, Josh Childress. Josh, thanks for joining us. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. No problem, thanks man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah your, your story sure. is, a, is amazing, man, from beginning to now and obviously still being written. Uh, we wanted to obviously set, shed some light on it because I think there are a lot of different important aspects of it. Um, not to mention a lot of insight that I think that you can give kind of us about what's happening now um, mm -hmm. overall in the climate and then specifically in kind of the sports world. Uh, but before mm -hmm. we get to some of that stuff, uh, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about how you grew up. Obviously, you grew up in California. I kind of wanted to get your perspective on kind of California, uh, how, how it was growing up in California and then also um, playing basketball in California. And when you kind of realized that, like, wow, I might actually be something, I might actually be a star at this game of basketball. Yeah, man, Cali, um, obviously, you know, it's, it's home, right? It's just where I was born and raised. And, um, you know, I'm loyal to that. I think that, uh, you know, the basketball scene here is really unlike anywhere else in the mm -hmm. world. Um, you know, there's a, just a deep pool of talent every single year. Now, granted, we're one of the larger states in the country, but um, I think that there's just a, a great landscape for youth sports and the development of kids. And there's just a great talent pool to, to choose from. So, like, you know, we came out and it was just, I mean, it was year after year after year where, you know, two, three, four, five draft picks, um, you know. And so um, that that uh, obviously is pretty powerful. And like growing yeah. up here, um, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. I, I learned a lot of made some great relationships um, and, you know, I'm still living in Southern California. So right. to that point, like I, I've, I've been able to play all over the world, but you know, this is always going to be home. Who are some of the toughest guys that you played against in high school? In high school? Um, shoot. Uh, 
Well, we were teammates with a lot of guys, but like playing against Dominguez that was always tough. So, you know, Tyson Chandler and Bobby Jones and, and um, Steve Moore and Darius, Darius Sanders and, and that crew um, was tough. Um, Dijon Thompson over in Redondo Union was tough. Um, modern day guys with Cedric Bozeman and Jamal Sampson and um, Mikey Strawberry and that, that crew was tough. I mean, you, you, you just kind of go around Southern yeah. California. Right. Like, Every school um, is loaded. Right. And then to, to, to think that a lot of those guys that I just named were on my AAU team, right? So, like, <laughs> right, right, they match right. up against each other, you know, during the year. And then, you know, in the summers, we, we get together and, and hoop together. So, uh, you know, it was uh, obviously quality. And when did you know, like, how old were you around when you started to realize, like, wow, this, this could actually be something that I maybe do professionally? Man, I didn't realize that until <laughs> I was a junior in college. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay so, like, uh, yeah. So let's talk about, yeah. actually, let's talk about college. Obviously, you know, you, you went to, to Stanford and, you know, that's one of, I would say, one of the top three, maybe even top one schools when you're talking about kind of the unique combination of great academics and, and great athletics. Um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of a trailblazer in that regard. What was it that made you decide to choose Stanford to go to, to go to college? Yeah, I mean, uh, at the time, I don't know if you guys really remember back then, Stanford was, you know, pretty much a top 10 team yeah. in the country, yeah. you know, every, every year, right? Yeah. And, and um, so the basketball side of it was, you know, kind of a no-brainer because um, I went into a program where I felt like I fit in. Right. You know, and I fit into the system and, and I was able to, to grow as a person and as a player. On the academic side, I mean, as a 17, 18-year-old kid, I, I didn't really understand that. I mean, yeah. you, you think you do, but you don't really until, right. you know, well after the fact. And you, you, you know, having conversations and, you know, trying to tap into the network and, um, you know, the network – welcomes you with open arms yeah and that's when you realize all right you know that's that's when i made the right decision you know having having conversations with you know uh, very very successful individuals now you know as i venture into the business space um you know it's paid dividends for me um significantly so um very happy with that decision yeah. but uh, at the time it, w- it was really a basketball decision for me yeah can you can you talk to us a little bit about how i say basketball is the most difficult sport to make it to professionally right to the NBA level. Can you tell us a little bit about how the competition changed from say high school, then to Stanford, then to the NBA and, and, and the differences you noticed in, in the skill level and what was, what really stood out once you got to the college level and NBA level in, in terms of the differences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you just think about it from a high school perspective, you know, you may have, you know, one or two guys on a team that can dominate, um, you know, and propel their, their, their team to CIF title or state title or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, college can be similar, but you still need a little bit more, um, you know, more talent behind. You need a better, better supporting system, um, you know, but you, you figure you go from, from high school to college, the speed of the game is a lot faster. Guys are playing a lot harder. Um, you know, you, that's your first kind of introduction to travel, scouting reports, you know, things of that sort. Uh, you know, but then you take that to the, to the league, you know, and everybody in the league was the man or close to being the man on their college team, yeah. right? And so you, you go from, you know, solid guys to solid guys to then everybody can play and everybody can, you know, put 20 on your head 
any right. given night. Yeah. Um, and so it's just a big jump, a big jump in talent level, a uh, big jump in, in um, speed of the game, athleticism, you know, all that stuff. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's tough, man. I, I was reading something, um, I can't remember when, but said that there's been like 5,000 uh, NBA players in the history of the game wow. or the history of the league, right? And so when wow. you think about the wow. millions and millions of kids that play sports every year, basketball every year, um, you know, to have only had 5,000 yeah, you know, that's in crazy. the history of the league, you know, I, I think the league is what, 60 or 70 years old. Right. Um, you know, that's, 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 that's significant. That is significant. That's significant. You know, that's significant. If you didn't, if you didn't go to Stanford, where, where would you have gone? Who, where, who else was in the runnings? Yeah, man. So, uh, <laughs> my, my number two choice at that time was Kansas. Okay. Um, you know, coach Roy Williams was, um, it was on very you. convincing and, and, <laughs> and getting me there. Uh, I just couldn't get, get past, you know, moving to Kansas. Right. right. And, like being that far away from my family. Um, but outside of that, um, it was Arizona and Carolina. Carolina ended up signing another f- small forward uh, before I had a chance to really kind of dive into um, looking at them, you know, I guess on a more serious note. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, those were the, kind of the top top schools. I want to ask you one more question before we get, get into uh, some more college qu- questions. I want to talk about AAU for a second and just your kind of your, your perspective on it because back then – it, it, AAU was different. It seemed different back then. It seemed like more of a privilege to kind of be able to play in a- AAU and the competition was different. Now it seems mm-hmm. like everybody plays AAU, like regardless of skill set. And then also it seems like there's a, you know, influx of kind of bad actors. So you can speak, so to say, and agents and, and money and Adidas and, you know, all the, oh, there's like yeah. just a total difference. Talk a little bit about that. What was the difference in your perspective from what it was like back then versus what it, what it is now? Yeah, I mean, AAU in that regard was the same back then. You just mm. didn't have the cameras around to capture it, mm. you know. But it, it was uh, – I mean, everybody played it. Um, the one thing I would say is once you got to high school, there was one team. There yeah. was no 15 and under, 16 and yeah. under, 17 and under. Right. You know, either you were, you were good enough to play 17 and under or you weren't, right? right. So for us, um, you know – once we once we got out of eighth grade and got into high school, you either had to be good enough for for the A squad or not. And right. you know that's when, you know, we went out and played in. I was on a Nike team, so we played in the Nike circuit, the Peace Jam, and uh, Boo Williams, and all those those tournaments. But mm. um, you know, I think that you know having these kind of age divisions has watered watered it down a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, but um, I mean, I, you know. I, I can't is. speak. To, yeah, it is what it is, right? <laughs> right like, right. you know, it's just the nature of the beast right now. Um, but I um, mean, you, you had your your, you know, NJB and like all those other leagues and AAU stuff that was around, and it's just there was nobody really, you know, capturing that footage, so right. it just wasn't in your face as much. Right. And and and, okay, and, so- and let me let me let me. Uh, I forgot to mention the other stuff. Sure. Um, that other kind of CD underbelly was there too. Like yeah, you know, always the, been there. The agents and runners, and you know uh, the shoe companies and all that stuff. So I don't think that that'll ever go anywhere. Right. Um, but like I said, it's just documented now. It was just, it's, which it's is uh, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually that's actually a perfect segue to kind of my next my next question, which is about. Um, kind of the Pac-12. Well, it's probably Pac-10 when you were playing, right? But now it's yeah, the Pac-12. Well, yeah. And and recently, the, a bunch of players kind of united to to present uh, essentially a list of demands that 
they feel like they need to be met before they decide they want to continue to play. And this is something that V and I have always talked about kind of on this show is, is as what's kind of needed to happen is that the players are going to have to, you know, be the ones that kind of be the voice in the, of this for, for there to be significant change. And interestingly enough, kind of, Bamani Jones kind of put it in a, in a grand perspective of kind of how this is. It's basically they're looking at everything from a, for, in a, under the same lens, essentially under the same lens of kind of white supremacy, right? You're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement obviously being one, COVID and how that's affected communities of color disproportionately. And then also just kind of college sports and particularly the big revenue sports where, you know, a lot of black bodies are the ones that are responsible for generating this revenue, but not the ones that are necessarily benefiting financially and being able to change their lives generationally. And I think all of these things are kind of hitting the fan at the same time. And these players kind of step forward and said, listen, no, nah, we're not doing this anymore. And I guess why I have, I have a, it seems like some, first of all, it seems like something that you would have been a part of, number one. And, and number two, I guess, is, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about what you think about kind of the, the kind of the demands themselves specifically, if you've gotten a chance to, to see them. And then secondly, um, what you think about kind of college athlete activism? Mm-hmm. I actually, unfortunately, haven't had a chance to see the list of demands, um, but I'm sure that they're valid. And, uh, yeah. you know, they, they, they're guys for COVID and, protections. They're asking for, you know, increased medical six years, insurance. six years after their career is over. Of, yeah. Of medical coverage. They want a revenue share. Um, you know, they want of, you know, they're, they're, they talked about endowments, basically, like, why do you have an endowment for 27 billion? And, and yet you want to cut all these sports and saying there's not enough mm-hmm. money to go around. So, you know, I mean, obviously, I know you would want to get more familiar probably before you comment more specifically, but that's kind of just kind of the, the basis of, of what they're coming at. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously is very um, makes perfect sense to ask for COVID protection and ask for medical um, you know, support, uh, especially because a lot of times, and this is what, you know, maybe some of the, the public doesn't know, you know, you get, you get pressed to play, you know, mm-hmm. if you're injured, if you have, you know, things going on. I know, I know a bunch of guys who had, you know, potential career ending, injuries who, you know, had to, to suck it up and play or, you know, were pressured to play, yeah. um, you know, across the country. Right. And you're getting shots here and you're getting this and you cortisone and, and all that stuff. And so yeah. 100%, you know, they should have, um, you know, the ability to get medical coverage, you know, outside of, um, you know, you know, after they graduate, or after they leave the school, mm-hmm. um, especially football guys, you know, mm-hmm. with the, the amount of wear and tear that goes on their bodies. Um, in terms of revenue share, uh, I think that that's, that's going to be a difficult play um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, the NCAA has, you know, done an incredible job of, you know, really marketing themselves as this amateur league, right. amateur, yeah. amateur organization. <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and the, the, uh, the, the public at large doesn't see past that, okay. you know? And, and so, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of what they've done, but you got to respect the fact that like they've marketed themselves as that for so mm-hmm. long, you know, while the CEO makes a couple million dollars a year and, you know, they, they have these billion dollar, um, you know, TV contracts. So if, if I, if it were me, I would say, um, you know, finding a way to, to give the guys some sort of kind of package either per year on a per year basis, or after they graduate, they get, you know, a, a, a chunk of change, mm-hmm. um, as kind of like a payment thing. Um, you know, 
the one thing that's challenging this whole thing right now is the G League, especially especially in, in basketball, is the G League has come out, you know, these $500,000 contracts, you're taking mm-hmm. some of the top talent. Uh, right. But, yeah, if you can get guys, you know, two years, three years, four years in, um, you know, they get, you know, have this money deposit into an escrow account that they mm-hmm. then get to, you know, get to, to, to have after they finish or after they graduate. Um, I think that would be something that, um, you know, could be very helpful. And also increasing, um, increasing the stipend based on where you live, right. based on where your school is. Um, you know, one of the things that I struggle with always was Palo Alto is expensive. Right. You know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm getting the same stipend check that the guy in, you know, Huntsville, Alabama is getting. Right. It just doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, the cost of living is significantly higher. I couldn't I couldn't go out and rent an apartment. I had to stay on campus all three years. Right. Um, you know, so finding other ways to kind of get the guys uh, paid in addition to obviously the, the likeness, you know, yeah. getting paid for your likeness and actually getting paid, being able to get paid for, you know, uh, who you are as an individual right. is, is something that is, is a given on my end. Yeah, I actually I actually wanted to circle back to something you mentioned about the G League starting to offer contracts and now guys starting to we've always we've seen the progress of this cycle for a while, right, from Mm -hmm. straight out of high school to having to be one year removed. And you saw the one and done phase. Now you have the G League kind of coming in and essentially competing almost by offering these contracts. I just want to see as with your experience as a player what you thought about that um, in terms of the advantages to say going to college for a year or two versus saying, Hey, I want to go to the G league. Obviously it's all dependent on a person's individual circumstances, but mm-hmm. what, what your thoughts were about kind of the shift um, that we're seeing. I mean, I think the, the biggest positive for me with college was just, it was fun. You know, I built yeah, lifelong, right. you know, I built lifelong yeah. relationships there. Yeah. Um, you know, I now have a, a network that I can tap into, you know, post career. And, you know, that's the biggest positive. Uh, but for an individual who, um, you know, is, is a one and done type kid or is, uh, you know, whose family is in a situation where they really need, you know, some assistance, um, you know, that G League option is very viable. And, mm-hmm. I mean, the G League, I spent after my after a season in Australia, I came and spent like a month in the G League um, trying to get a call up. And it's a different kind of grind, man. You know, mm-hmm. and the trips are, are not league it's like trips. Minor league, you it's know, like minor league baseball. It's like minor league baseball, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, uh, having having to go through that is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a mental and physical grind that I think is a, a sharp contrast to probably what a lot of these universities – you know, have in terms of travel and, and where you're going. But, um, I mean, you know, I think it's a great option for certain kids. You yeah. know, some not, you know, I think some kids need, you know, to give themselves a couple of years to get ready to go to the league. But, you know, for, for a kid that's a surefire one and done kind of kid, you know, I'm well, all for kind of, it. That's the argument that, you know, some people who are in favor of the NCAA kind of try to push forward is like, well, 
you know, what about the value? Forget about just money. What about the value of the network? What about the value of, you know, the education, all the type of stuff that you can get in the NCAA, which I think has some, some merit, right? There's some value there. Um, yeah. I don't think it's enough to justify, you know, what I consider the financial <laughs> oppression, but you know, it's, it, it, it does have value. But I think that the better thing is like it's, that's happening now is that there are options. And what's interesting about the NBA doing that was it seemed as though the N- NBA and the NCA were kind of in cahoots, right? It was kind of like, okay, this is great. The NCA is like a free, like minor league that's breeding mm-hmm. this talent for us. But now that they're starting, they did that to compete. That kind of shocked me that they uh, that they did that. Was that shocking well, to you when you saw that? The other thing with it, well, let me let me first let me touch on your your first comment. Um, okay. It does not outweigh unless you're just you know gung ho about being in business afterwards, right? You know. I don't think it outweighs it. I mean, you know, if if you pay me $500,000 my first year out, I can set, you know, a portion of that aside and go back to school when I want to. Right. right? right, Like, you know, you go to school to to get a good job and, you know, people, people harp on the education component, which I I understand, but, um, you know, you spend four years there to get a, to come out ready to get a good job. Mm -hmm. And so if you can get a good job at 18, why not? Right. Exactly. So yeah. that's that. Um, I would also speak to the NBA kind of coming in on, and doing this, um, you know, probably as a response to um, a league that I'm a part of, uh, which is the NBL over in Australia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've now had, I think, four or five kids come over there, you know, mm-hmm. as that, in that gap year and then come back. And so right. – you know, you lose a kid like, you know, LaMelo Ball, who is, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a very popular kid, you know, yeah. main followers. And, you know, it's kind of one of those those types of kids. And has your frame. Uh, huh? I said he kind of has your frame. He does. He does. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's going to be a good player. But he, he went over to the NBL uh, and, and you know, that, that – league, you know, the, the arenas were selling out every night, 15, 16,000. And, um, you know, the NBA would love to have that here. Right. right. So, um, I so think, think it was that, more of a response to that than it was to, to I mean, try, I think yeah. combination, right. Okay. You know, combination of all, I mean, you, 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 you would, you were going to start seeing more of these kids either go to China or Australia, um, you know, probably Australia more than China, just because of the language barrier and just the, the ease of transition yeah. into living there. Right. Um, you know, and, and, um, so the league, I mean, has the platform ready. It's just a matter of kind of getting, um, you know, a team and a coach in place to allow those players to develop, um, you know, outside of, you know, the, the specific G league teams that are directly connected mm-hmm. to the NBA teams. Right. One, one other question that I had about this is we're also seeing a trend with, um, McCour, Mike and, and Mikey Williams, talking about going to HBCUs mm-hmm. versus going to um, these larger institutions. Wanted to get your thoughts on that in terms of how it could potentially impact their game, right? Their development of their game and resources. And if you think it's a viable option and it's a smart option for these kids to take. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, it's a viable option, um, you know, because it, it, it shakes the system up a bit. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's always kind of a foregone conclusion that, you know, of the, the 24 Mickey D's all Americans, you're probably going to have, you know, most of them at, you know, your blue blood college programs or your, you know, your, your larger college programs. And so, 
um, you know, changing that narrative, getting some of these kids to HBCUs and or smaller programs, um, you know, it, it obviously boosts that platform a bit. Um, but it, I think that it just it makes it makes them the game, the, the trendsetter. Yeah. Right? So you're you're starting. You're not one of many. You are the one, um, you know, and so I really like that. And I think, um, you know, these kids doing that is smart. I mean, you know, you you, you step outside of the norm. You get some of these other programs to take notice. Now you got, you know, probably Howard and, and you know, Morehouse and some of the other schools that are going to be on the, 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 the schedules of your Carolinas and Dukes and right. things of that sort. And not just as a fill-in game, as a, mm-hmm. you know, the premier game. So right. it's pretty, the pretty other cool. Thing, the other thing I like about it, too, is that I think there's an assumption that the only good coaches are the coaches that are at Duke yeah. and North Carolina. But a lot yeah. of these schools have great coaches. They just never necessarily have the talent. So I think it's also great for them the opportunity to showcase some of that, that as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, my 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 hope is that that then brings more uh, sponsorship dollars to these programs. It also allows them to upgrade their facilities. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, just brings a, a level of awareness to the fact that these are, you know, very strong, viable universities that you know just don't have the the resources and the support yeah. to be on the grander stage, but. Um, you know, are still still great places to go to school. Speak, speaking of trend setting, right? This mm-hmm. is a, a subject that I wanted to to touch on since we're here. Is your actual career arc, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you were the number six overall pick in the NBA, which is saying you're one of the top ten players in the country, <laughs> right. um, and and a draft lottery pick. So you're a very viable NBA player. But and and you go to Atlanta, you play for a few years. And then you make a very, very, at the time, eyebrow-raising decision, right? Um, you could get a viable contract in the NBA to go over to Greece. Can you take us into that decision and, and what prompted you to kind of leave the NBA green that everyone says that you have to be a part of mm. to make a better decision for yourself individually over in Greece? Yeah, so... That decision, that decision was really rooted in, um, you know, the restricted free agent process mm-hmm. and, um, you know, having a GM that I had no relationship with uh, coming to the team and basically forced me to go out and, um, you know, and get other offers, right? So my agents were working diligently, working, trying to get other offers. We had two that were signing trade deals and the GM at the time didn't want to uh, explore those. Right. And so here I am. I've played four years. The Hawks uh, have made it to the playoffs for the first time in, I don't know, 20 plus years. Um, there was a buzz in the city. There was an excitement, all that stuff. I was a part of that, that core group, you know, that had, you know, kind of created this turnaround. And then, you know, this guy comes in and acts like I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. um, to that point, uh, I then said, all right, well, I'm, I am going to go out and explore offers. And we did that. And, you know, this offer in Greece comes up. And so the, the financial component of it, you know, really set me, um, set me up where I had, uh, the same earnings potential in three years that I would have in five years mm-hmm. based on kind of what my market value was in the league at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking, I mean, it doesn't really take a rocket science scientist to figure that out. Right. I can make in three years what I probably will make in five years and I don't have the tax implications. Um, and so um, I then explored it a little bit further. They flew me over there. 
got, you know, to see what the country was like uh, in the summer, which is when it's, you know, it's at its best. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so I went back to the team and said, Hey, this is what I'm looking to do. Um, there was a little bit of pushback. I don't think that they expected me to do it. Yeah. Um, and I signed a deal and, um, you know, made that decision. And then ironically, I came back after two years and signed the same deal that I would have signed, um, you know, that first, you know, <laughs> after right. my fourth year in Atlanta. So, right. um, I got two years of extra earnings there, um, you know, at a higher clip than I probably would have, you know, staying in Atlanta. And how so do you, you think that experience kind of helped helped you, not just as a player, as a person, kind of seeing how the rest of the world operates? It helped me more as a person than as a player, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I got, I got exposed to, you know, a wide range of cultures. You know, my teammates were Greek and Serbian and Croatian and, um, you know, from all over the world. Uh, and so I just got exposed to things that I didn't necessarily get exposed to in the league. Um, you know, and then I was on my own, you know, yeah. for two years in a foreign country. Right. And so right. there's a level of personal growth that kind of comes in with that. So, um, it was definitely, uh, definitely a good experience and I, I'm, I wouldn't change it. I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I grew as a man and, um, you know, I'm happy that I did it. And you said you wouldn't change it. So if you were to, to be faced with that same situation again, knowing everything that you know now, at the same time, you think you would have made the same decision? Yeah. Now, if we're talking now, these contracts are more, much <laughs> right. more crazy than now than they were back, right. back in like 08. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's but, uh, but yeah, I, I would do the same thing. One, okay. one, one more question um, on NBA. First of all, I, I want to know just kind of generally your experience with the NBA and your feeling just kind of about the league in general um, as a player, but also kind of what you're seeing now with Adam Silver and some of the, the movements and the Black Lives Matter movement and, um, you know, the anthem talk and stuff like that. And then also the bubble. Like when you look at the NBA now, first of all, do you look at it as like the same league? Do you, do you recognize this league or does it look different to you? And then also what do you think about some of the stuff that you're seeing happen now? Yeah, the league has grown and it's progressed. I think, um, you know, Sil- Adam Silver came in and, and, you know, came in with some, some fresh new ideas. He put, uh, put the power into the players' hands a little bit more than David Stern did, um, you know, and, and really tried to, I think, make the league more so about the players. So I, yeah. I am appreciative of that, um, you know, and, and obviously, like I mentioned a little bit ago, the contracts have gotten a lot better for guys. Right. You know, and so I I always love to see guys, you know, able to have life life changing situations where they can provide for themselves and their family, you know, on a larger scale. So like that's powerful to me and I'm really appreciative of, of that being, you know, what the NBA is about right now. Um, you know, the bubble is, um, you know, uh, it's just – um, a victim of, I'm going to say a victim. It's, um, you know, it's byproduct. circumstantial, right? It's mm-hmm. a byproduct of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, the league at large is, is too large to, um, to, to cancel the season. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's too much uh, of a financial component at stake to, to do so, right. uh, not only for the players, but for the, the teams and the owners. And um, so um, I'm happy that they were able to find, you know, an option. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, you know, either Orlando or I don't know if, if like Vegas will be the next the next option based on the infrastructure that's in place. 
Um, you know, I think that, that um, you know, the league has a chance to really like set itself apart from the other leagues. Yeah. You see ML, MLB is struggling right now, mm-hmm. you know, with a lot of the guys kind of testing positive for the Marlins. Yeah. Um, NFL, NFL, I don't know how they're going to. They're opting out. Players are opting out left and right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, um, the bubble you know, seems to be the only way to really do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but how do you do a bubble with, you know, the NFL, it's almost NFL, awesome. yeah, you know, yeah. 90 guys on a team or whatever that, that number is. So, yeah. um, you know, this is a great opportunity for the NBA to kind of be a, a trendsetter slash guinea pig, if you will. Right. You know, the, only, the only show in town, right? Right, 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 right. So, yeah. um, so I'm happy with that. And obviously on the activism front, um, you know, as I mentioned, Silver has allowed the guys to kind of be, uh, you know, a bit more uh, out in the open with their voices and let right. their voices be heard. I think that, you know, allowing them to kind of have whatever personal message they want on the back of their uniform, is pretty cool. Um, I would challenge the league to also, um, you know, step in and, and um, you know, support some of these other organizations and or uh, black businesses, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, maybe, um, you know, we're relying on, the league, you know, being in those, in those local markets, right. um, you know, the, the, all the businesses in downtown Atlanta, all those businesses in, you know, downtown, I don't know, Milwaukee or wh- wherever the, you know, Indianapolis and some of these, you know, Cleveland, some of these smaller markets that, um, you know, were really reliant on arena foot traffic, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, so either the league or, you know, finding ways to kind of come in and, and help support some of those local businesses would be something I would love to see. I think that that offers a great transition point. I'm going to start mm-hmm. with this and we'll get into the business part of it. Um, but kind of to bridge um, your career from the NBA to the business world, right? I wanted to ask you about the value of being an NBA player beyond being an NBA player, right? You mentioned with Stanford, your network, like when you first started to realize the opportunity, Megan and I talked to a lot of younger athletes and we always talk about taking advantage of the rooms that you're able to get into. Mm-hmm. It seems like that was kind of your first step. Like you kind of had an idea of what you want to do, but you start building your network. Can you take us into kind of the value of, of being an NBA player and helping you get to whatever other goals you have because your careers often end very early um, and mm-hmm. you have your whole life to live. And that seems to be a challenging thing for a lot of players and one that hasn't seemed as challenging for you. Yeah, I think that's rooted in and how you identify yourself. Um, if you only identify yourself as an NBA player and that's kind of what you lead with, um, you know, you're, you're in for a rude awakening. Yeah. Um, you know, that only lasts for so long. And I think that that will open doors for you. Uh, but if there's no substance to underpin that, mm-hmm. um, then you're in for a rude awakening again. So, um, you know, to that point, uh, I've had a gr- great success in getting introductions, getting, you know, tied and tapped into different networks based on my, my MBA history. Mm-hmm. but then I have to have something to back it up. And mm-hmm. so that's that next step where maybe some guys don't have, um, have that to, to kind of hold on to, um, you know, and, and they then find themselves themselves trying to um, struggle with, you know, well, what is my identity? This is all I've ever done. This is all I've ever known. Um, and that's, that's tough. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's a tough, tough gig because, you know, it's a business where you, you have to be, 
100% locked in on your craft, you know, for so long. Yes. And if you aren't, then, you know, GMs and coaches and people, um, you know, essentially kind of position you as, as not locked in, you know, and, and not focused on, you know, on a task at hand. So you have to be locked into that. Um, and, um, you know, I guess find a way, um, LeBron has done it great. You know, there's other, a couple other guys that have done it great. Now LeBron is a different kind of beast, but you know, to create a platform, on the side of, you know, his playing stuff that, you know, he could then, you know, really kind of seamlessly transition into uh, once he's done playing. And that brings me, that brings me to another question too, before we get to the specifics of what you're doing now business wise, which is very interesting too. I also want to talk kind of just about that transition out from a mental perspective. Cause a lot of our friends, most of our friends are, are NFL guys or former NFL guys. And, you know, we, we've seen, just the things that they've gone through after retiring, right? The depression, trying to figure out identity crises, mismanagement, uh, mismanagement of money, like a lot of those mm-hmm. different things. What, first of all, I guess, kind of what is your perspective on that? And, and how were you able to, you know, manage some of those issues, number one? And then number two, what, if anything, could the leagues or, yeah, I guess the leagues or colleges be doing better to kind of prepare these guys for that moment? Because it's going to come, even if you play 20 years, it's still going to come. Yeah. So colleges really don't do much to, to mm-hmm. help prepare, you know, yeah. and as I mentioned before, I mean, you know, you're, you're there as an athlete student, you know, they, they say student athlete, but you, know, <laughs> right, right. you are 100% athlete student, Absolutely. athlete first. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times with that, they push you into um, majors that don't really translate into real world application. Mm-hmm. Um, so for myself, like, I could only handle being a sociology major based on like the course load, you know, and not, I'm not like downplaying sociology or sociology majors, but like, where's the life application afterwards. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's a norm for a lot of, a lot of basketball and, or a lot of college athletes. You have your exceptions. You know, I had a couple of teammates that could, you know, that were econ majors or, you know, or, um, you know, pre-med or whatever, Mm -hmm. but that was like, maybe two out of the 15, you know, yeah, so the demands are um, different, like even scheduling labs and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. Cra- it's crazy. I remember. Crazy. Yeah. crazy. So, um, you know, colleges don't really do much um, mm-hmm. for you in that regard. I think the league, I can speak for the NBA, you know, they put support systems in place um, to uh, put pool of fun, a pool of funds together to allow you to go back to school, right. um, which I'm taking advantage of now as well. So I'm getting oh. my master's in real estate, through a league program. Um, so that's, that's really supportive and and helpful. Um, but by and large, I mean, it kind of comes down to who you surround yourself with, who your mentors are. Um, you know, uh, you know, I grew up in a, or I came, came out in an era where everything was about the flash and the bling and the, you know, the the chains and the this and that and all that stuff. Um, and now, the, the the there's been a shift where guys are talking more about investing, talking mm-hmm. more about tech deals and real estate and all these other things. So right. I think that the 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 league by and large has become more sophisticated in that regard. Uh, but um, it's tough. I mean, how yeah. as a, as an employer, how do you then say, hey, you need to do X Y Z because you know we need to make sure that you're set up for success afterwards. After um, right. yeah, when you know the NBA is focused on 
you know, trying to grow the business and and their bottom line. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's difficult and there needs to be a layer of separation there. So, um, you know, I saw that like, uh, Jermaine O'Neal and, uh, Tracy McGrady, they started a sports agency. Um, so that's a wealth of knowledge for young guys that's coming out, you know, that they can get. Uh, and I think that's what it's going to take. It's going to take more former athletes, um, you know, stepping in, stepping up and helping the younger guys, um, you know, through, you know, their growing pains of, you know, first getting into the league and all that stuff. And, you know, just a concerted effort from players in general to be a lot smarter about who they surround themselves with, you know, which financial advisors they're choosing. And, you know, the notion that this is going to last forever, which obviously it never does. Yeah. Right. And you and you've also become very successful in business. And I want to obviously highlight that one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on this show uh, is is what you're doing in business. I mean, since you've left the NBA and left basketball, you've become an entrepreneur, venture capitalist, philanthropist, community leader with big visions and actually big execution. And now the CEO of Landspire Group. I want to give you a chance to kind of talk about some of the initiatives that you're doing um, just in terms of what the actual things that you're doing, but then also what inspires you to kind of go that route as well? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that. So um, over my career, I mean, I've, I've, I've always been in, involved and intrigued by business, right? And that um, started from my Stanford days and like all the, the millionaires and billionaires that I, I met, you know, on campus, right? And like, right. what do you do? And how are you able to afford that house? And, right. you know, and all that <laughs> right. stuff, right? right? So that was always intriguing to me. Um, and, uh, you know, being exposed to that in the earlier age was, was, was great, you know, for me now, but, um, you know, my, my focus right now is on the real estate side. I mm-hmm. think that, um, you know, while tech is, is tech and it's incredibly trans, uh, transformative and disruptive, um, you know, real estate by and large, um, is, uh, where I feel like most of the individuals always kind of come back to, <laughs> you know, you have, you know, you have your, I mean, you look at a case study like, I don't know, Bezos, right. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's created the, the world's largest online platform. And now they're underpinning that by going and buying whole foods that has brick and mortar retail. And mm-hmm. they're going to start rolling out probably some more, you know, Amazon grocery stores and this mm-hmm. and that. And, you know, the, 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 the warehouse space that they need for their distribution centers. Like it all comes back to real estate. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was the, the driver in trying to, um, you know, make this, you know, my next phase was, you know, just the impact that it has on, you know, everyone, right. Everybody needs a place to live, you know, businesses need a place to operate, um, you know, e-commerce and, and marketplaces need, you know, physical space to, 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 to house their goods. So, um, you know, Landspire Group, we're focused on under-resourced communities. Um, we have um, uh, a couple projects we're working on now. Um, one that uh, we just got approval for in the city of Compton, uh, which is where I'm from. Nice. Uh, we have another proper project um, right outside of uh, Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Strip, so the high growth area um, where you're now seeing probably from from this COVID situation, you know, there's this millennial flight that's happening where people are moving outside of LA and the Bay area and, mm-hmm. you know, some of these other areas into more, more affordable places. Right. So, you know, you're starting to see an uptick in, in Nevada in Arizona in Texas in Utah um, to more suburban and or affordable places. So, um, you know, that's, that's been my focus um, for the last year and change is building this company. Um, you know, I did it with my former college teammate and roommate um, at Stanford. 
Um, so it's been a, a great journey for us yeah. to navigate a whole new space, um, you know, as businessmen. And what challenges, what challenges has that, has that provided in terms of from just the financial standpoint? Because I know one thing, one issue that a lot of people have generally, but then also even more particularly minorities have is, is raising money, right? Or getting access to money or finding the money. <laughs> how, how, how have you navigated that and what challenges have come, come along with that? Man, it's been a, it's been a challenge. I'll tell yeah. you what, <laughs> um, you know, we've, we bootstrap some of it ourselves, um, you know, and so I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, you know, I was able to invest in myself by, by saving, you know, prior to this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then we just started reaching out to the personal networks and, mm-hmm. you know, that Stanford network definitely helped, um, you know, and then I'm, I'm based in Orange County now and, you know, I reached out to my Orange County network and, um, have, have gotten a, a, a fair amount of, of kind of friends and family on board and individuals yeah. who are successful, who understand a real estate space, um, you know, but it is a challenge and yeah. raising a, a fund for uh, a project, your first project in the middle of, you know, a pandemic has right. been right. unlike anything that I think yeah. anybody has experienced. But <laughs> right. to that point, like, you know, we, we've been really resilient mm-hmm. and, you know, one of the things that I admire you know, having gone through as an athlete was, you know, adversity, right? Yeah. You know, you, you deal with that, you deal with injuries, you deal with getting cut, you deal with losing games, you deal with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, I got to bounce back. And, yeah. and that's what we've been able to do time and time again. So, um, you know, we're excited about these opportunities, but, you know, raising money is, is not yeah. easy no. at all. I actually, I actually had a specific question in, in reading about, your company and, and specifically where you invest in, right? Which are uh-huh. some more challenging communities that traditional investments haven't taken to, and and some of them seem to be opportunities and um, projects as well. Um, and when one of the things, like I'm, I study real estate quite a bit. One of the things that I'm concerned about with this space is that what you see is you see an investment. It's like the sharks come out, right? They go to a community. They build it up nice, shiny and nice. But then the people who've lived in those communities for generations are pushed out. It's no longer affordable for them or the community isn't the same. In being in this space, how do you kind of address those challenges, right? To make sure that in the interest of development, we're not losing track of the people that have relied on this community for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's a great, great question. And I think the one thing that we we come into these areas with is a good understanding of the area and of the people that live there, having been from there. Um, you know, so let's speak about Compton specifically. Um, you know, I understand that, you know, the people that are living there have, you know, um, either been dealt a bad hand you know, have had some generational or, you know, some family issues. Maybe there's a lack of education from, from some of the family members. Um, and so for us, it's about how can we come in here, develop a property that the people and the city can be proud of that is underpinned by programming to help the younger generation and the adults, um, you know, with some upper mobility. So whether that's job training, uh, tutoring, um, you know, we're, we're looking at, creating something else. Um, and I, I don't know if I should, can roll out the strategy if you will, but mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a large, 
um, you know, gap, black, you know, black, white wealth gap in this country that's, you know, rooted in systemic racism over the last, you know, 150, 200 years. And so how can we create projects where we essentially allow the, 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 the community at large to be um, equity holders in the deal, right? So they go along for the ride with us, where then when we sell, they then see a chunk of change that can roll over into home ownership, which mm -hmm. then, you know, allows them to, to start creating some wealth for themselves and their family. So um, we go into these things with, with all that in mind. And mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, on the flip side of that, there needs to be an educational component of people in these, these communities around, um, you know, not selling grandma's house, you know, yeah. when, when somebody comes in, you know, and, and not allowing um, somebody to just kind of offer up what you think is a large chunk of change without doing your research and understanding that, you know, this home in Inglewood is much more valuable than you imagine. And, you know, the, the, the guys that are going to build the form or the, you know, Steve Ballmer, when he builds this new Clippers, you know, mega stadium needs this area. And right. so I shouldn't, I shouldn't sell this. Mm -hmm. And so there needs to be an educational component there as well um, to help those, those people understand that, um, you know, they need to either hold on or understand what the real value is and actually get that value versus allowing somebody to just kind of come in and take over. That's a, great point. That's a fa fantastic point. And I, and I, I, I appreciate that because, you know, these men in real estate and it's something that I'm trying to learn about. And that is an issue that I think we have to deal with as we get in that. And so being able to kind of be a bridge between knowledge in other ways, I think is, is vital. And for people who actually want to get involved kind of with Lance Buyer or help, or maybe even be part of a fund, how do they do that? Where, where do they go? How do they contact you guys? Yeah. Um, I mean, our, our contact is on our website, lancebuyergroup.com. You can contact me at uh, josh at lancebuyergroup.com uh, and we can get you in touch with, um, myself or uh, my partner or um, uh, kind of our um, investor relations um, slash legal, uh, Triana Allen. Mm. And, you know, really, even if it's just you have questions on things, you know, and yeah. you need to, you know, talk to somebody about it. I mean, we're not we're not in this to, to you know, I mean, we obviously want to be successful financially, but there's sure. it's more it's, there's more to it for us than that. And so yeah. we just want to be be helpful and educate people as we you know, learn uh, a lot more about this space as well and expose people to different things that, you know, maybe they just haven't, haven't heard of or been exposed to. Well, absolutely. We have two, two fun questions and then we'll get, we'll get you out of here. So uh, right. thanks again for joining us, man. We really appreciate yeah, it. Course. It's been great. Uh, so first question is, give us your top five musicians of all time. Personal. Top five, yeah. top five personal. Mm -hmm. That is a tough one. Yeah. Um, uh, probably Biggie. Mm -hmm. Tupac, um, Kendrick, mm. uh, J. Cole, okay. and Drake. Okay. Nice. Yeah, that's a good. That's a that's a good list. Yeah. Glad you got a Compton, Compton rapper in there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, the, second, be in there. the second one's in your wheelhouse. <laughs> your top five athletes that have inspired you. Your personal list. Athletes. Period. Or just. Or basketball players, athletes. Period. Athletes. Period. Athletes. Yeah. Period. Um, shoot. Um, my favorite basketball player of all time was Scottie Pippen, so he'd have to be in there. Mm -hmm. um, I like his. <laughs> Scotty. 
Um, uh, Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I love it. Um, Serena. Oh, shoot. Tiger. Uh, I think, you know, you look at a guy like him and his resilience and has been able to bounce back after being at the pinnacle of his sport and then, mm-hmm. you know, going through all that stuff and then come back. Yeah. Um, uh, man. My favorite football player when I was younger was Jerry Rice. Okay. So I guess I'll throw him in there. Same. Yeah. And then um, last, man, I would say this is probably a, a weird one for most, but uh, The Rock. Okay. Um, he just bought I'm that sure that that's different. Yeah, he just I know. And, and yeah. I look at him as a guy who has transitioned unlike anybody else I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. You know, he went from, yeah. you know, making nothing in the NFL to, you know, getting into WWF, making a name for himself there to now being the hottest and most sought after actor yeah, in the crazy. world. It's crazy. And, and his transition game has been sick. So, yeah. I mean, he obviously just bought the film, but yeah. yeah, it's just inspiring. So, yeah. I mean, for that reason alone, like, even I mean, though he can't uh, act, I love him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like <laughs> blockbusters, right? Right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. So he's not, um, he's not worried about that. So, yeah, his transition game, we talk about that transition, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's on another level. One other, one other question, small question before you get out of here, too, is just a couple of the young NBA talent that you think people need to watch out for. Watch out for? Um, people that you think may be the future of this league. You know, young well, guys. You, you got the you got the kid, the, the OC, the OC local, uh, Bowl Bowl, who's Bowl, out Bowl, there cooking. Yeah. He's right. out there cooking. <laughs> cooking. Right. Um, um, I mean, I think that Denver squad in general, they've got yeah. a bunch of young guys on that squad to watch right. out for. That squad is amazing. Yeah, they did a great yeah. job. Connolly, uh, shout out to Tim on that. Um, yeah. uh, Devin Booker, obviously, is, is incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, who else? Shoot. What do you think about Zion's game? He's just – he's so physically imposing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like – Right. I mean, I, my, my only hope with him is that um, he doesn't – he's able to utilize that and also add pieces to his game so that, you know, if that diminishes or deteriorates in any way, he's right. still effective. Right. I would love to see him 12 years from now um, – as like a Carmelo Anthony type guy, like, you know, yeah. just getting buckets, getting right. super skilled mid range. Um, I don't know if that'll happen, right? but right. Um, that's the, that's I would love to see him, you know, kind of transition into, you know, a skilled, like, you know, four, but three kind of, kind of guy. Right. One other guy I wanted to ask you about that's, that's hot right now is Luka Doncic. Oh man. He's, he's incredible. Yeah. yeah, incredible. Yeah, uh, the NBA, the NBA is in good hands, man. I can't, I can't even. Yeah, they are. Out of the, yeah, the, are. The, the high level talent, the next kind of generation, and then like the young guys. I think their they're, mentalities they're, seem to be 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 right right now too. So yeah, yeah, on, yeah, on being the best. Yeah. And they've, they've revolutionized the game. I mean, you know, you look at Steph and now Dame. You know. Th- it was unheard of to be shooting from where they're shooting from. <laughs> and so now it's like, it's unguardable. Right. You know? And so right. it just opens up the floor 
for there to be a lot more exciting plays if you got to go under the screen at the logo on the sideline, you know, right, <laughs> like, right, or right. you got to go over the screen. Sorry. Um, yeah. You know, you can go downhill and get to it. Um, you know, so, I mean, yeah, the league is in great hands. You got Tatum and um, uh, Donovan Mitchell and all these young guys that are just, yeah, the league's in great hands. Ballers. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for joining us on the Pop Boys podcast. This has been amazing. For sure. Uh, shout out to you and what you're doing. I think it's very important work. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's important for the world to see, obviously important for the minority communities as well. And we'll continue to support you and support you in any way we can. So uh, stay safe out there. and uh, No doubt. And, uh, yeah, keep holding it down. All right. I appreciate All you guys. Right. All right. Thank All you, right. man. Take care. All right. Take care. All right. Peace. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. And we have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. Ondo Media here in Columbus has been working with us to keep the Pilot Boys in production during the pandemic, as well as getting our YouTube videos going. It's all about telling your story to your audience. So give John at Ondo Media a shout. You can find all of their media consulting at ondomedia.com. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guest, Josh Childress. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at Faswant. And don't forget, grab some Pilot Boys wristbands and face masks at shop.pilotboys.com. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out. Pilot Boys, we get on up.